Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. My name is Valerie and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Canadian Tire Corporation Limited third quarter results conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during that time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press star then the number two. We ask that you limit your time to one question plus a follow-up question before cycling back into the queue. This morning, Canadian Tire Corporation Limited released their financial results for the third quarter of 2021. A copy of the earnings disclosure is available on their website and includes cautionary language about forward-looking statements, risks, and uncertainties, which also apply to the discussion during today's conference call. I will now turn the call over to Greg Hicks, President and CEO. Greg? Thank you, operator. Good morning and welcome, everyone. I'm joined today by our CFO, Gregory Craig, as well as TJ Flood, who will be participating in the Q&A portion of the call. Before we get into the details of our Q3 results, I'm going to start this morning by recognizing the incredible work of our corporate charity, Jumpstart. As you've heard me say before, Canadian Tire has a long history of supporting the communities where we live and work. Throughout the pandemic, we've proven that our purpose of being there for life in Canada is more than just a tagline. After tw- and 20 months in, our commitment has not wavered, as proven by the busy quarter had by Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities. In Q3, Jumpstart continued to help build back sport and play in Canada through its $20 million sport relief fund. To date, more than $17 million has been dispersed to help over 1,500 community organizations keep their doors open. In addition to addressing the challenges created by the pandemic, Jumpstart remains committed to removing financial, accessibility, and gender barriers to sport and play. In Q3 alone, the team completed four new inclusive playgrounds in Whitehorse, Yellowknife, Montreal, and Vernon, BC, as well as inclusive multi-sport courts in Thompson, Manitoba, and Uxbridge, Ontario. Together, these projects represent an additional 100,000 square feet of accessible play, space where all kids of all abilities can play together. Constructing these recreation facilities truly takes a village. It wouldn't be possible without the hard work of our teams, our authentic connection to our communities, and the generosity of associate dealers, employees, and customers. In addition to being there for kids today, we remain committed to protecting our communities for tomorrow. We recently published our 2020 Environmental Footprint Report, which outlines the energy consumption and emissions that result from our business across the entire value chain, from the processing of raw materials to last mile delivery to customers. In 2017, we set ambitious targets to reduce GHG emissions from buildings and operations by 22% by 2022, and keep emissions from transportation flat, both against a 2011 baseline. As has been the case with many companies, COVID-19 led to growth in volumes, particularly in e-commerce, which impacted our progress on our ambitious transportation targets. We continue to work with our transportation partners to reduce our GHG emissions footprint. More broadly, we continue to work on bringing our environmental work and social initiatives together in an integrated ESG strategy. We recently established an internal executive leadership council that brings many leaders together, as well as a brand and corporate responsibility committee at the board level to oversee our ESG efforts. We know ESG is a process, not a project, and our work continues. With that, let's dive into our third quarter results. 
Overall, I am very pleased with our results this quarter. We were excited to welcome customers back for in-store shopping as most COVID-related restrictions were lifted in the quarter. In Q3, we delivered strong comp store sales growth in all banners against exceptional third quarters in both 2020 and 2019. Revenue declined as expected, led by lower shipments to dealers after significant revenue increases in both Q1 and Q2. I'm feeling really good about how our team is working to manage our margins and our OPEX disciplines, which Gregory will speak to in a moment. From a broader customer health standpoint, we are beginning to see several key metrics starting to grow in our bank, including credit card sales being up over 23% in the quarter, as well as guard growth for the first time in several quarters. We continue to ramp up our operating capital spend this quarter, primarily in real estate and IT, and continue to drive improvements to our retail ROIC. I intend to spend more time in my prepared remarks this morning discussing two critical areas, customer engagement and our supply chain capabilities. There's no question that increased customer engagement with the Triangle Awards program has been a key driver of our top line performance overall and in the quarter. On a rolling 12-month basis, we now have 10.7 million active Triangle members. These members are incredibly valuable, quite simply because they spend more. Their average basket size is higher, and they shop across multiple banners and channels. And in Q3, our loyalty members spent 30% more per visit than non-loyalty members, accounting for 57% of our total retail sales in the quarter. Our member base continues to grow, with 680,000 joining in Q3 alone. This brings our year-to-date acquisition to 1.7 million new members, putting us on track to exceed the 1.8 million members who joined in 2020. In looking at our 2020 and 2021 cohorts, it's clear that our Triangle program is attracting younger, more digitally engaged customers. I also want to give a quick update on our Triangle Select subscription program. We are currently conducting a beta test, which was designed to help us understand all aspects of the value proposition for the customer. We've been in market for about six weeks, and so far we are very pleased with our progress and results. We have just over 5,000 invite-only customers subscribed as part of the beta test. Over 50% of them are skewing younger than our average Triangle member. Many have our credit card, and they're spending more across our banners. To date, the program benefits that have been used the most are the 10 times in-store CTM earn, which drives more traffic to our stores, and the own brands bonus, which further demonstrates their differentiation and popularity. It's still early, but we really like what we're seeing so far. Between now and the end of the year, we're exploring new acquisition channels as we look to ramp up enrollment, and we'll keep you posted on our progress. The Triangle Select beta test and our entire Triangle loyalty program are in service of learning more about our members. We continue to hone and evolve our personalization efforts and drive more meaningful connections with and real value for our customers. Changing gears, I want to spend some time talking about supply chain as I know that it's been top of mind for the past few months. In contrast to last year's supply chain challenges, which were related to manufacturing supply, the challenges this quarter were primarily related to ocean freight capacity. While we're not immune to the global supply chain issues, I'll spend the next few minutes outlining how our strong supply chain capabilities and experienced management team enable us to navigate challenges, including higher commodity prices, factory shutdowns, port closures, and shipping container shortages. I'll start with the fact that we're the country's largest retailer of general merchandise and apparel. And while we're very focused on inventory turns, the fact that we are neither a grocer nor fast fashion retailer means that in times like these, we can be very flexible when it comes to holding inventory from quarter to quarter with a significantly lower risk of aging. 
The non-perishable nature of our products gives us flexibility around lead times and commercial terms, and as the owner of significant distribution and storage capacity through our store network, corporate-owned real estate, and the REIT, we can easily hold excess inventory in Canada. In addition, more than one-third of our revenue comes from our own brands and our direct line to the producers of products such as Noma Christmas lights, Mastercraft tools, and Denver Hayes apparel means we are in control of when and where goods are produced. We also have line of sight into the shipping from factories and a clear understanding where input shortages may require longer lead times, where cost inflation might lead to higher product costs, or in cases of longer term shortages or inflation, a product redesign. And as one of the largest distributors for national brand products such as Nespresso and Nike, we are quite confident that among Canadian retailers, we are getting our fair share of the products that we expect to be in high demand this holiday season. Finally, as the largest importer of record in Canada, we have built strong relationships with our vendors and in the shipping and transportation world, particularly on the main routes in and out of Asia and across Canada to our more than 1,700-plus retail locations and distribution centers. We've proven that our supply chain capabilities can stand up to even the most unprecedented of challenges. As we mentioned last quarter, we chartered ships entirely dedicated to carrying CTR products to move our goods amid a global shortage of shipping containers. This strategic decision to charter four vessels enabled us to bring in key Christmas and winter categories in time for Q4. We have successfully built inventory to meet anticipated customer demand. We ordered more and earlier in key categories and lengthened lead times in anticipation of shortages of inputs such as the microchips used in our Noma products. We also continued to make use of third-party logistic providers to increase our inbound storage capacity ensuring that we could handle our extra inventory. We've been planning for this quarter since before this time last year. The work, which is led by our Chief Supply Chain Officer, Paul Draffin, has been extremely collaborative, with the supply chain teams working closely with our merchant teams across all banners. I'm happy to say that as of today, most of our contracted Q4 product has arrived. If all goes to plan, by the end of this year, we will have shipped an estimated 15 to 20% more offshore containers than in 2020 to satisfy demand in 2021 and the early part of 2022. And we're already working through our volumes and lead times for summer and fall of 2022, placing orders with vendors, looking at our product pipelines, and while not across the board, anticipating an increase in some input costs. While we're pleased with how we've set ourselves up, managing the current supply chain challenges has resulted in incremental operating spend, which is reflected in our financial results in the quarter and year to date. And we expect this trend will continue into 2022. We will continue to build flexibility into our contracting around transportation, logistics and storage providers to respond to consumer demand. We will also continue to assess where these pressures can be absorbed or offset with our recently announced additional $100 million commitment to operational efficiency savings, giving us further flexibility. The investments we will continue to make in our supply chain and distribution network will enable us to flex and respond to whatever pressures come our way as we return to a more normal supply chain environment. With respect to the inflationary pressures, I am pleased to say we've been able to offset most of these headwinds in the quarter. We have generated gross margin rate expansion by leveraging data and analytics capabilities related to promo and price management. As stated earlier, I am pleased with our efforts here across all businesses, but I'm particularly pleased with what I'm seeing at both SportCheck and Marks. The merchant teams in these two businesses are focused on increasing sell-through at regular prices, and we are seeing great progress towards this objective. Looking ahead, we will continue to pull the multiple levers at our disposal to mitigate gross margin and cost pressures, although we recognize these pressures are not insignificant. 
Finally, I want to touch on our capital allocation plans. Investing in our core retail business is our highest priority. Shortly, Gregory will give you a little more color on our anticipated capital allocation plans, and we intend to take you through more detail around future capital spend at our investor day. With that, we are very pleased to be announcing a 10.6% increase in the annual dividend, which marks our 12th consecutive dividend increase and raises the annual dividend to $5.20 per share. And having paused our share repurchase program during the pandemic, we believe now is the time to reinstate the program. We have great confidence in our business and the management team, and we're committing to repurchase up to $400 million in share buybacks by the end of 2022. And with that, I'll hand it over to Gregory to take you through the financial highlights of the quarter. Thanks, Craig. Good morning, everyone. As usual, I'll walk you through the financial highlights in the quarter and then take a few moments to speak to our capital allocation and capital expenditure plans. First on the financials, we are very pleased with the results this quarter. Diluted earnings per share were $4.20 on a normalized basis after adjusting for $19 million of costs related to our operational efficiency program. And this was down 15% from 2020, but up 21% compared to 2019. The year-over-year decline in EPS was primarily driven by lower shipments at CTR in the quarter, and I'll speak more about this shortly. Our strong retail earnings performance over the last four quarters drove retail ROIC to an impressive 13.2%. Now, let me walk you through the key drivers, starting with sales. As we commented on our Q2 call, consolidated retail sales in Q3 started out flat to the prior year. In the latter part of the quarter, they picked up momentum as customers were able to return to shopping in-store. We finished the quarter with comparable sales up 3.3% and up 21% compared to 2019. E-commerce penetration of 6.5% was down in the quarter with more visits to our bricks and mortar stores, but double what it was in 2019. Comparable sales growth at CTR was 1.4% in the quarter and up 25% compared to Q3 2019. CTR's performance was helped by growth in own brands such as Canvas, MasterChef, Raleigh, and Sherwood, having better control over the own brand sourcing process amid the ongoing global supply chain challenges continues to be a real advantage to us. Our seasonal, living, and automotive divisions had the strongest performance in the quarter. Gardening, backyard living, cleaning, and car care were among CTR's top performing categories, and our access to inventory was a key contributor to their performance. Our hockey business was another high point for us, up double digits compared to both 2020 and 2019, more than making up for lost ground a year ago when organized sports were canceled. Overall, we saw 55% of categories grow relative to the prior year, with 26% of them growing double digits. Versus 2019, three quarters of the categories saw double digit growth. The return to hockey and organized sports also benefited our sport check business, where comparable sales in the quarter increased 11% and 7% compared to 2019, and growth was fueled by athletic footwear, athletic clothing, as well as hockey. We also saw a strong comeback in our back-to-school categories, which grew 20% in the quarter. Marks also delivered impressive results with comparable sales up 8% in the quarter and 13% compared to 2019. Men's casual wear, footwear, and industrial pair were among the key drivers of growth. As was the case in the past few quarters, our focus was on attracting younger customers through premium brands such as Levi's and Timberland Pro, driving a 21% sales increase in national brand sales, while own brands were up 2%. And on the own brands front, sell-through over Helly Hansen workwear was a highlight at Marks, up 13% in the quarter. And briefly on Helly Hansen results, the business had a good quarter, with external revenue up 1.5% and 3% on a constant currency brace basis, with strong growth from continental Europe and the U.S. From a category perspective, workwear and direct-to-consumer had the largest increases, up 21% and 17% respectively. Now, let's switch gears and dive into the key drivers of our revenue performance. 
Retail revenue, excluding petroleum, was down 6% compared to the prior year, primarily due to an 11% decrease in CTR's revenue in the quarter. As you know, given our dealer model, sales and revenue can be out of sync in any given quarter, but it has been our historical experience that over time, the two metrics tend to move together. At the end of Q2, on a year-to-date basis, CTR revenue was up 23%, with sales increasing by 8%. We saw this relationship become more in line in the third quarter, which led to the decline in revenue at CTR in Q3. Inventory at the end of the quarter was up $370 million relative to last year, reflecting our increased investment in product at Canadian Tire to meet potential demand. Retail gross margin rate, excluding petroleum, was up 155 basis points compared to prior year, driven by increases across our retail banners. The rate improvement at CTR was attributable to a favorable pricing mix, despite freight cost headwinds building in the quarter. We are pleased with how the team continues to manage overall margin rates. And margin rates at Marks and Sportcheck benefited from higher sales contributions from our bricks and mortar channel and lower promotional activity in the quarter. Now, turning to financial services, the business continued to perform well in the third quarter as demonstrated by historically low aging and net write-off rates. We also saw encouraging trends around credit card sales and receivables growth. Revenue in the quarter was up $6 million as card sales drew 23% and gross average accounts receivable recorded their first quarter of growth since the onset of the pandemic. Gross margin improved by $32 million, primarily due to lower net impairment losses of $28 million, reflecting the continued stability in the delinquency and net write-off rates. Consistent with this performance, allowance for loans receivable remained at $812 million, flat to the previous quarter, while the allowance rate declined to 13.4% from 13.9% last quarter. The team continues to assess the level of allowance on our books, evaluating uncertainty related to cardholder behavior and potential impact of government relief programs coming to an end, among other indicators of economic health. We also saw a $7 million increase in operating spend in the quarter, mostly as a result of an increase in our customer acquisition efforts. So all in all, financial services IBT in the quarter increased $27 million, or 30%. And while this earnings performance was mainly driven by lower net impairment losses, we are pleased with the growth in customer metrics this quarter. Now, let's get back to some of our key performance indicators at the consolidated level. Our normalized consolidated OPEX ratio as percentage of revenue came in at 24.6%, unfavorable by 367 basis points compared to 2020. The decrease in revenue in the quarter, as well as an increase in year-over-year OPEX, contributed to the decline in the OPEX ratio. The absolute dollar increase came from a few areas. The drop in share price since the beginning of the quarter resulted in a mark-to-market loss on our equity hedges related to share-based compensation. This compared to a mark-to-market gain in Q3 a year ago. The remainder of the increase was primarily due to higher marketing and higher supply chain costs as we navigated a more challenging supply chain environment. And as Greg said, we anticipate an elevated level of supply chain expenses into 2022 while the supply chain backdrop normalizes. As it relates to marketing, there were some costs related to Tokyo Olympics combined with the return to a more historic level of promotional and marketing activity. And partially offsetting these increases, were savings achieved under our operational efficiency program. Earlier today, we announced the achievement of our previously committed target of 200 million plus in run rate savings ahead of schedule. As a reminder, the intent of our operational efficiency program has been twofold, to take costs out of the business and to transform and change the way we work to prepare us for the future. Since launching the program in the fall of 2019, we have completed more than 150 initiatives. Our focus has been on eliminating redundancies, simplifying processes, and capturing enterprise-wide efficiencies. Some of the key achievements include the elimination of non-value-add processes at our store and the development 
of artificial intelligence to optimize our e-commerce freight costs and reduce delivery time. We also announced today a further $100 million increase in our run rate savings target to be achieved by the end of 2022. We have a significant number of initiatives well underway, among them the implementation of a new transportation management system that will reduce transportation costs across the banners in the introduction of robotic automation for picking product at our distribution centers. Finally, let me turn to capital allocation. As Greg said earlier, we are pleased to be announcing our 12th consecutive annual dividend increase, up 10.6%, along with the reinstatement of our share repurchase program, targeting to buy back up to 400 million in shares by the end of 2022. In the quarter, we also increased our capital spending, primarily at CTR for real estate projects. <laughs> Operating capital expenditures were 70 million higher than last year, when capital spend was down from pre-pandemic levels. And we expect this to continue into Q4, with operating capital expenditure for the full year expected to land in the range of $650 to $700 million. Looking forward to 2022, we expect to continue with a balanced capital allocation approach. Investing in our core retail business and our digital and supply chain capabilities continues to be a key priority. Building on the momentum of the business and the longer-term strategic priorities we expect to set out in more detail at our Investor Day early in the new year. In summary, we are pleased with our financial performance and our key customer metrics, and we believe we are well-positioned as we head into what is typically our busiest season. And with that, let me hand the call back to Greg. Thanks, Gregory. Before I close, I want to give you some insight into what we're seeing so far in Q4. Quarter to date, we continue to see healthy demand signals from the customer in both our retail business, which continues to be up against strong comps, and our bank in terms of credit card spend. I am confident with our readiness for the rest of the quarter. We'll continue to prioritize our supply chain and maximize the value of investments made in both triangle and digital. We look forward to giving you more insight into our strategy, including how we will continue to allocate capital as we invest in the health of our store network and modernize our business model at our investor day. With that, I'll pass it over to the operator to open it up for questions. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We ask that you limit your time to one question plus a follow-up question. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question is from Mark Petrie with CIBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Good morning. Um, you delivered another strong quarter on retail gross margin, and obviously there's a lot of moving parts there, but I want to ask about your views on the sort of go-forward margin levels, just given the increased prominence of loyalty as well as the continued payoff of all your work on price and promo efficiency. So how do you think retail gross margin will compare over time versus pre-pandemic levels? Thanks for the question, Mark. Maybe we're just kind of looking to see who's going to answer it. Maybe maybe we'll turn it over to TJ. I think probably CTR is most relevant for you. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Uh, um, thanks for the question. From a from a CTR perspective, um, as I spoke to in in the last earnings call, um, we've built a lot of strong capabilities and analytical models to help us navigate through the uh, the inflation that we're seeing. Um, we have analytical modeling to manage discount levels given our high-low pricing model, and we've been honing our elasticity curves to strike the balance between demand creation and managing margin. And our own brands continue to be a key focus for us, providing several differentiated advantages, and one of which being a healthy margin premium over national brands. And then the other piece of work we've been doing over the last couple of years is just managing our assortments and from an architecture and breadth standpoint. And because we play across a good, better, best price point level, in each of our categories, we're able to provide our customers with a lot of flexibility to make decisions that meet their needs. So we actually believe we're really well positioned with all the capabilities we have and the data we have at our disposal through Triangle to manage our margins pretty tightly as we go forward here. 
I think it's important. I, I wanted to leave you that when with armed with all of these capabilities and, and the knowledge that we that we've gained through our triangle uh, membership, we've never been in a better position to provide value to our customers. And we're always going to continue to ensure our customers are exposed to this value through our products, our promotions, and, and end experience. And I think that's what's going to help us run that balance of managing margin and, and demand creating as we go forward here. That's very helpful. Thanks. Uh, and I guess just to follow up um, specifically on Triangle, um, you know, as you lap some of the big growth from last year, just in terms of retail sales, what's the loyalty data telling you about how the customers that re-engaged with Canadian Tire during the pandemic are behaving today uh, as, you know, some of those pandemic behaviors fade a little bit? Yeah, great, uh, great question, Mark. I mean, as you uh, have heard us talk, um, we, we've talked about, you know, tracking and managing the 1.8 million new Triangle members in a hawk-like way, and we, we continue to be very pleased uh, with the results here today, and we, we do mine um, all of their activity. I'd say, you know, as a reminder, the cohort has a much higher percentage of, of younger members than previous years, than our total loyalty base overall, um, which, which certainly makes us pleased that, that we've introduced a new generation of shoppers to our banners. That's continued in 2021, as I said in my prepared remarks. Um, and, and these members continue to prove that they're more engaged, more likely to shop cross banner and spend more per visit to date in comparison to the 2019 cohort. Um, it, uh, we, we believe really showcases the strength of the ecosystem. Let me give you some stats here. Uh, over 74% of the members in the 2020 cohort were acquired through CTR. Uh, and about 25% of them crossed over to also shop at SportCheck and Marks, which obviously helps their overall spend at, at the CTC level. And it, and it works both ways. Uh, between 60 to 70% of the members acquired at other banners in 2020 uh, have also been active at CTR uh, over the past 12 months, and they've spent a significant amount of money um, at, uh, you know, at the banner. So, we, we like what we're seeing here in terms of engagement. You've probably heard me say this before, that these outcomes, you know, they just don't happen on their own. We've been very intentional uh, about driving these outcomes, uh, acquiring the analytical visibility to manage uh, customers in this type of way, um, having clarity on our objectives and fostering this test and learn uh, fact-based environment is really what's, what's driving value. And, I guess I'd, I'd finish by saying, I think you may have heard me say this before, that, that this is all about, you know, scaling more capabilities in businesses and, and designing them to work together in a, in a mutually reinforcing way with Triangle. And, uh, and we feel confident that we're moving uh, with even more speed uh, and aggressiveness uh, on this front. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Hamburglar, the time is yours. Bravo, bravo. He said, these are McDonald's best burgers ever. And then, can I keep them? And then he just grabbed them and ran away. Brobble. Now get a Big Mac or double cheeseburger for two bucks in the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Must opt into rewards. Visit McD app for details. Available at most restaurants in this area. Comparison of McDonald's classic burgers to prior burgers. That's great. Thanks a lot. All the best in the holiday. Thank you. Our right, next question is from Chris Lee with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, maybe just a couple of questions on the outlook for the auto uh, services business. Um, the first question is, is the supply chain disruption having any significant impact on, on the business? And then following um, that is, are you seeing any sort of favorable factors in terms of you know higher miles driven and also increasing used car ownership, and how does that factor into outlook for uh, for the next uh, year or so on on the auto services business? Thank you. 
Hey Chris, it's, it's TJ. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, it's an interesting one. Our automotive business has been very resilient uh, despite the headwinds the industry has encountered during the pandemic. And in Q3, we grew 2% versus last year, which is 16% above 2019. And as you pointed out from our petroleum business, we know that we're still lagging 2019 levels of driving year to date based on our leader's pump. However, we saw that gap close significantly in Q3 relative to the first two quarters of the year. Um, but despite these headwinds, our automotive business has grown for five consecutive quarters, and our growth continues, continues um, to be fueled through what we call our wants-driven categories, for example, car care accessories and outdoor automotive adventure. Um, and we also saw a resurgence in Q3 on several of our what I would describe as need-based categories, like tires, filters, and auto fluids. And auto service, to your point, we've actually just seen two consecutive quarters of growth in, in auto service, and we haven't gotten back to 2019 levels, but, uh, but we certainly have been seeing some momentum in that business. And what fueled our growth in Q3 was understanding customer trends early and investing in inventory to meet that demand, and we're going to continue to take that approach as we go forward. And we actually think, as you think about inventory, we're actually advantaged uh, relative to the industry. Because we're a diversified company uh, and have the financial means, we can take positions in categories like tires, um, despite some of the headwinds in the industry, that other non-diversified uh, competitors might be able to take. So. In combination with the trends that we see and, and our financial wherewithal and our supply chain capabilities, we feel very good about our inventory levels going into Q4 and, and the prospects of fulfilling what consumer demand is going to be there. Great. That's uh, very helpful. Um, maybe uh, just a quick follow-up on capital allocation. Um, where does acquisition fit within your capital allocation priorities? Or are there any attractive areas of opportunities that you might be looking at? Thank you. Yeah, no, no changes from the commentary I would have provided uh, last quarter or the quarter before. Um, as you heard both myself and Gregory talk about um, today, our, our, our primary capital priority is the investment in our core uh, retail business. Um, we continue to be uh, on the lookout um, for brands that could tuck in um, in, in any or all of the family uh, of companies. I think you've heard me say that that will. There's no finish line there. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to uh, to look for for own brands that we can we can plug in and and, and product develop and, and create value uh, for the customer. Um, and I think the only you know nuance that may have been net new in my commentary on this last time we talked about it is just um, you know thinking about where we could potentially partner for for capability uh, and our investment equity investment in the Ashcraft terminal that we announced would be a, a classic example um, of that. And when you think about you know core uh, capabilities that allow us to have a more competitive posture going forward, um, I think you'll continue to you know, hear more or, or we'll be active uh, on that front to understand where uh, we can improve our capabilities and, and partner for strength and scale. Great. Thank you and all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Irene Natal with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks and good morning, everyone. Um, I would like to spend, if you don't mind, a couple of minutes just talking about CTR. Because I think, you know, if we go back two years, if we had said, yeah, over a two-year basis, revenues are going to be up 25.3%, I don't think anyone would, would, have believed, would have believed that. So can you talk about, yeah, right? So can you talk about where that strength is coming from, the role of triangle, the categories, and how you can sustain that level of, of revenue and uh, over the, you know, as things normalize, as it were. Well, thanks, uh, Irene. Um, I'll start, at, and you know, TJ's obviously got a really good handle on the business, you know, with his team and and um, and how he's thinking about the business going forward. I mean, I I, I start always here um, from the conversation we just had about the customer. Um, we we just have such an unbelievably net, what I believe to be net new capability 
to look at the prospects for the future around how each customer engages with us uh, in that banner. You know, yes, you hear us talk about moving customers around uh, banner to banner, but to, to TJ's uh, point uh, around being multi-category and, and answering his question around uh, around the tire and auto service business, um, there's lots of opportunity to do that. Uh, and we are doing that just within our family of businesses under the same roof of CTR. Um, there's all sorts of headroom uh, in terms of how we uh, either you know, bring, a, bring a customer over that we've acquired at, at SportCheck uh, and get them to, uh, believe it or not, be introduced uh, to Canadian Tire as some of the stats that I provided to, to Mark's question. Um, but also in a business like auto service that we just talked about, where a very, very small percentage of our active and even high-value um, customers in CTR are using you know, that service. So um, I, I, I tend to look at the business now you know, very focused at the, at the customer level and the engagement and the frequency and, and spend per customer. Um, and um, the more and more we grow our total a percentage of sales on loyalty in CTR or at the aggregate consolidated level, the more first party data ha we have, the, the more the flywheel, uh, you know, personalizes. So I think I just wanted, before we got into, you know, categories and, and market opportunities and market share and what have you, which I, 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 I'm quite certain TJ will go, um, I just think grounding ourselves in spend per member um, given that is our focus strategically, um, is um, is just a, a good place to start. But why don't I why don't I hand it over to TJ here? Yeah, Irene, just just to build on that a little bit at, at the category level, I think I think the strength of our business model has really come to the fore since the beginning of the pandemic, and the diversity of the categories in which we compete are so relevant to Canadians, and, and Q3 was no. No exception there. Some of the trends we saw, just we, we continue to be impressed by how much consumer demand there is in things like backyard living. So as the summer months went went by, uh, Canadians just wanted to explode outside, and they continued the consumption on uh, on spring summer businesses, and that growth extended into September as well. And they're also investing, continuing to invest in, in their homes. We saw strong growth in categories like kitchen cleaning and home organization as well. And then there was a big bounce back in return to sports as the country reopened. And Gregory mentioned in his opening remarks, hockey uh, has bounced back. I can attest to that. My 10-year-old needed brand new skates and new sticks and almost everything head to toe because he'd been off for so long. So I think uh, just the relevance of our assortment coupled with our capabilities from a supply chain standpoint, Greg talked a lot about it in his upfront. Having inventory has been uh, given us such a leg up and has really allowed us to uh, capitalize on the relevance of our assortment and allowed us to gain market share relative to 2019. So we think that there's still momentum in this business and, and we're going to continue to leverage that, that uh, relevant assortment as we go forward here. That's really helpful. Thank you. So if I could just have a follow-up, because obviously one of the debates among investors is, the degree to which um, some, the increase in revenues at CTR is, let's call it, one-time versus sustainable. But it sounds like from what you're saying, by having this focus on the customer and using the triangle data, you can take what may, be a, may have been a one-time purchase, like let's call it patio furniture, um, and drive forward sustainable sales of other related categories. Is that sort of the way to think about it? Uh, yes, and um, just using that relevance um, to, to just just increase kind of spend um, in, in the categories in which they're shopping, you know, already. I think the real, when we started the pandemic, I think the, the posture um, and the mindset potentially in the organization um, Irene would have started around this. Okay, there's 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 significant tailwind. There's um, you know there's lots of reasons for incremental consumer demand around you know the home, the garage, the yard, uh, etc. And we're going to try and capitalize on that as much as we possibly can. And now we're coming through uh, 2021, and that mindset I'm I'm here to tell you is changing. 
Um, and we don't intend to give any of this back, Irene. We're, we're, we're going on offense. We're legging up from here. Um, and, uh, and, and again, the, the capabilities and the relevance that, we've, that we have talked about here gives us a lot of confidence uh, in this business going forward. So um, if, if that helps, that's, that's the mindset of the organization and, and our associate dealers at CTR. That's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Vishal Sridhar with National Bank. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, given the, uh, the scale and the, and the frequency in, in use of Triangle, wondering what management's comments are on, on uh, monetizing the, the, uh, the data via, via um, selling insights to suppliers and or um, uh, advertising on your digital platforms. Is that an avenue that Tire has explored or, or will explore, and, and could that be a meaningful uh, driver in the future? I think it's reasonable. Uh, it's a reasonable question to think about for the future, uh, Vishal. Whether whether it's uh, whether it's meaningful uh, to us or not, I wouldn't be able to answer that question as of yet. We're we're just very focused on our family of companies right now. Um, so. Um, you would have seen us just adding Pro Hockey Life as an example into into the ecosystem, uh, either late late last quarter or early this quarter. Uh, Party City has been plugged right in, um, and uh, and just really building kind of the data capabilities, the automation, the machines, getting getting um, opt-in for you know one-on-one -on -one communications in our own audience, et cetera. We, we, going back to Irene's question, we just believe we've got a plethora of things to do to drive uh, our own business and keep us focused on the core. Um, but make no mistake, we're, we are building very strong capabilities here. Um, so as we look forward, um, you know, that, that could potentially, uh, you know, be a part of our, of our go-forward strategic plans. But as of right now, it's, it's, it's not a material component of our drawing board, and, and nor do we expect it to be a material uh, component of our financial results in the short term. Thank you. Um, given um, given pervasive concern about supply chain pressure, and, and I know Canadian Tires addressed uh, their own inventory uh, and your own capabilities, but wondering how the dealers are starting to think about that, and, and do they are you seeing them perhaps think about holding excess inventory should this um, should these pr pressures persist longer than, than some may perceive? Hey, Vishal, it's uh, it's TJ. Yeah, you raise a really interesting question here, and and what I would say is the the strategy we've under uh, we we've, we've been deploying since the beginning of the pandemic, and this is true of the corporation as well as dealers, is we've been investing in inventory. And when you look at what happened in 2020 and we grew five years worth of growth in, in one year, we, on both sides of that equation, we both had to right size in an upward direction our inventory levels. And the dealers continue to invest uh, in inventory. And to your point, they do have to start to look for ways of, of how to store that and throughput that inventory. But the, this group of entrepreneurs, it, it is our secret sauce and our strategic advantage. They know that inventory is something that they have to invest in. Uh, it's what's been fueling our growth, and they're going to continue to do that um, as we go forward here. So we're, uh, it, it's something that they'll, they'll be working on within their P&Ls, but they, they, they work it at the local level and, and do what's right for their business to, to deploy and, and get the right amount of inventory to, to buoy their business. Okay, and uh, with respect to promotional activity, are you finding your peers are, are passing on um, inflation in general in the industry, or, or are they holding the line at a time when uh, you know uh, the comps get tougher year over year? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and there's been a lot of media attention around uh, kind of the global supply chain issues, and there's been numerous prognostications of, with respect to promotional intensity and, and what we're seeing in inflation. And what I can tell you is that uh, we at Canadian Tire always strive to provide value to our customers and we'll continue to do that. We're, we're always running the balance of managing supply availability and demand creation and looking at our pricing and, and promotional activity. And given the customer data uh, 
that we have. We've, we've, as I said earlier, we've never been in a better position to create value uh, that customers crave and, and to expose them to that value, whether it be through our traditional flyer or discounting strategy or through mobilization, mobilization of our triangle rewards. Uh, we're going to be very competitive in the marketplace. So we're watching that closely in terms of how our competitive set are, are looking at pricing and inflation. Um, but I can tell you we're really well positioned as we head into our uh, busiest selling season. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Peter Sklar with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Um, I wanted to ask you about these strong categories that you've mentioned today. I mean, some of them that have come up are, um, you know, outdoor, garden, cleaning supplies, home organization. Do you, like the strong sales you're seeing, are they, is it because those categories just generally are strong, consumers are buying those categories, or do you have good measures of, of what your market share is in Canada by category among, you know, your competitive sets? So you can just talk a little bit about the strength of the category versus your market share gains or losses in those categories. Yeah, Peter, it's TJ again here. Um, at the category level, I've, I think you've hit on, on both elements, right? So we, we definitely have seen industry growth since the in, in categories like backyard living and, and kitchen and, and cleaning and even in our fixing categories as well. Um, so there has been industry growth. But if you look at how the landscape has laid out from a market share standpoint, we have various data points that we draw on. Uh, for market share. It's certainly not an exact science by any stretch, but all indications are from the, the data points that we have that not only are we benefiting from industry growth, we are gaining market share relative to 2019. A little bit of noise in that from 2021 relative to 2020 because you're really kind of going through an environment where not everybody was open to full capacity in 2020 in Q3 relative to 2021, but uh, over time from 2019 onward, we've, we've we certainly believe we've been gaining market share in those categories. And I would just add, uh, Peter, that uh, you know, big, big, big category in the country, casual wear, um, obviously hit pretty hard uh, structurally uh, during the pandemic, maybe even leading up to the pandemic. Um, and um, you know, there's a category as an example where Marks participates that we are absolutely taking share. Uh, and we we believe that there's there is a, a meaningful opportunity to continue that trend well past the pandemic. Uh, that'd be inclusive of uh, of both men's and women's jeans as well, where we're seeing lots of gains. So uh, I just point that out because it is a big category where we have relatively low share, uh, where there has been some structural challenges uh, in the marketplace. And, uh, you can expect us to continue to be aggressive to uh, to grow our share uh, in that uh, in that category in the Canadian market. Okay. Um, the other topic I wanted to ask you about is, you know, the significant operational improvement projects that you have, which is you're saying you've realized the 200 million and you expect to achieve a 100 million run rate by the end of 2022. I mean, how should we think about where those dollars go? Do they do they drop to the bottom line? Um, like, I don't, does that mean your 2023 earnings are going to be 100 million higher than they would otherwise be? Or do they, do they find their way into other parts of the business where you reinvest those savings? If you could just talk a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, it, it's the same as the way we would have positioned it um, when we announced the, the, uh, the $200 million plus. We keep saying plus. Uh, uh, commitment. Um, it, you know, as evidenced by what we're experiencing now, post the, uh, you know, the the introduction of the program in 2019, we can't foresee uh, the type of, uh, uh, you know, transitory inflation um, that may come our way. Um, but if we were, you know, to to, you know, shut down the business tonight uh, and reopen it. Uh, the end of 2022, the, and nothing else happened. You'd see the 100 million dollars to the bottom line. And one of the things that I'm, you know, really focused on is really, um, you know, how, how do I, you know, get a sense that the cost really is coming out of out, out of the business, um, Peter. And and um, I'm really happy um, with the fact that we are, you know, seeing, you know, very strong um, uh, operating leverage. Uh, 
uh, in our retail segment. Uh, and that's net of the inflation that we're seeing. So when you look at pre, um, when you look at pre-pandemic, uh, you know, relative to to today, it, it, it is very clear in the retail segment, uh, empirically, um, that we're getting leverage uh, in the business, and we're doing that, um, like I say, net of some pretty significant inflationary pressures that the industry uh, is dealing with uh, with the supply chain. So um, I think that's the way to. To, that you that you should be thinking about it in terms of 100 million, and is the way that that we'll be looking at it internally to make sure that we are we're getting the progress that we're committing to here. Okay, thank you for your comments. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Our next question is from Patricia Baker with Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you, and good morning, everyone. Um, Greg, I want to uh, turn back to uh, Triangle and and. Uh, thank you for providing us with the metrics that you did on the subscri- subscription program. I know it's just a beta test and you're only six weeks in, but can you share with us a little bit about the thinking behind this program, the mechanics, and the strategic uh, rationale for this? Sure. Um, thanks, Patricia. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, it's, really a, um, it's, it's really a program to – whole kind of an enterprise uh, value proposition together um, to to drive you know incremental spend um, at the at the customer level um, you know I, I guess a reminder I mean this is it is a new it's a it's new for us it's a paid you know loyalty subscription program um, and we we've designed the value proposition and the benefits right now to focus on where we differentiate so elements, it's not a me too, me too program. This is a this is a program designed specifically to accentuate the differentiators of Canadian Tire. Uh, you know, elements like own brand, shopping in store, uh, and ECTM primarily. Uh, yes, it involves added value with uh, free shipping and uh, a one-year Crave subscription, bonus multipliers across all the banners. Um, and, and it is about providing, you know, value at the customer level. Uh, and our efforts right now are making sure that we have the right uh, benefit um, proposition. Give you a little bit more granularity than I provided in my prepared remarks. Um, I mean, we, we we did we did just launch the program on August 9th. Um, uh, but but having said that, it is. It is yielding some significant learnings, although when you're doing kind of pre and post spend activity, keep in mind, you know, you're talking six, eight weeks. Um, and, and we haven't really been in a rush to use mass channels to acquire uh, new, new subscribers. Yeah, as I said, um, 5,000 registered Triangle Select members uh, right now over-indexing with our target customer segment, 30 to 49 years old. Um, a lot of active families were over-indexing on high-value customers and credit card customers compared to our base loyalty customers. The feedback on the registration process has been, you know, very strong empirically with, with uh, CSI NPS scores. Uh, our monthly dashboards, whereby we, we provide a select member a view um, at, at their level, a dashboard as to the value they're getting relative to the subscription price. Um, is getting you know rave reviews, um, and our intent is 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 to continue to remain connected to customers throughout throughout the test, gave, gathering you know feedback and fine tuning the value prop, and it is really about you know to to go to your overall strategic question is is it's about you know providing you know value for the member um, their way you know the, providing the best value for them. Um, at any time they want to shop, as opposed to presupposing that, you know, putting a product on sale um, this Friday to next Friday is the ideal timing uh, for them to come to our store or our website, you know, et cetera. And so this everyday uh, value um, and, mm-hmm. and, re- and really connecting with them with a personalized understanding and using our entire family of companies to engage with them to spend more um, across the uh, across the family. So I don't think it's you know it, it's any more. I don't think I can wax poetic any more than that. Um, it's it's uh, we, we we really we really do believe it has the opportunity to change the way we provide value uh, to customers. But it's it's early. It's early. Um, but but like I said, we're 
we're quite happy with, um, with the spend trends pre and post um, and the type of customer that we're acquiring here. Well, thank you for that. And then particularly, um, I appreciated your point uh, about letting the customer shop the way, when, and how they want to shop, and that, that is, would be truly differentiated. I have a follow-up question on uh, capital uh, allocation. And you know, thanks for the, uh, providing us with uh, that detail uh, again. Now, you, you did note, uh, uh, Gregory, that uh, investing in the, the, the retail network you know, is the most, most important and the largest piece of the capital allocation. And you gave us the CapEx for uh, the current year, but not for next year. Uh, do we, will we, is it going to be in that similar range of 650 to 700 million, or is that something uh, we're going to have to wait for the investor day to get the amount and the, and the specific project? Yeah, thanks, Patricia. It's Gregory here. We, we had a long discussion on this, um, frankly, getting ready for the quarter. And our thought was, you know, the, the more appropriate process was to kind of share where we were strategically. We, we know we, what we needed to do to get through this year, and we thought, you know, it was uh, it was more appropriate, frankly, to handle that as part of our investor day. So that was kind of how we were, we're thinking about things. And we're looking forward to having this discussion. It's unfortunate, you know, the timing happened the way that it did on, uh, on the federal election. But having said that, I know the team's uh, excited and looking forward to sharing all the strategies. And part of that, of course, will be where we're seeing our, our capital spend the, uh, uh, the next few years. But again, I'll just reinforce, I think Greg said it, and I think I've said it as well, that you know, core retail continues to be our focus around where we're going to continue to invest capital as we're moving forward. We're not, we're not stopping waiting for investor yet. Let me assure you that that is not the case. Okay, and and you did indicate uh, that the investor day would be uh, early in uh, 2022. When when do you anticipate you're going to release the investor day date? Uh, I think probably you know. I think we've got a date we're working to inter internally. Oh, well, I'll look, mm -hmm. I think we want to make sure we've got the location and the logistics <laughs> nailed before I give a date, and then I don't want to have to back right. up. So, uh -huh. suffice to say, be shortly after our Q1, our Q4 release. Excuse me. It's just I, I want to make sure that we have all the logistics. We are hoping that we're going to be able to do this in person um, and, and and see everybody again is, is is one of the one of the things we're hoping to be able to do. So we have some logistics we're still working out, but we'll be able to share that I think fairly uh, fairly soon. Okay, look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. And our last question is from Graham Krindler with A Capital. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my, my question. Uh, I wanted to follow up with respect to the financial services business. Uh, some, some strong and positive trends in the quarter here with GARUP as well as credit card spend. I'm wondering if you could touch on for a moment what sort of metrics or, or continued metrics you would need to see in order for that business to reclaim its pre-pandemic levels here, particularly as in-store shopping becomes more prevalent here? Thank you very much. Thanks, Graham. It's, it's Gregory. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, what I would say is twofold. First and foremost, the good news is the narrative we've been giving for the last six quarters, five quarters on financial services hasn't changed. What I mean by that is the risk metrics, customer payments, our loss experience all are incredibly strong relative to you know historic levels. It's, 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 that, that's that's continuing. What Greg said in his remarks and what I've said in my remarks stands true is there's an, uh, now an emerging narrative in my mind that you're seeing that business you know turning the corner and we're seeing growth in customer metrics. We're seeing growth in usage. And and as we've talked about previously, this is not a light switch. Like this isn't a situation where the business is going to return back to you know, the six and a half billion in receivables that we were at kind of at the end of 2019. You know, it's going to come through acquisition. It's going to come through building relationships with customers, with triangle, as Greg talked about. And, and it's, you know, but what I would say the positive sign is, you know, I know acquisition of new accounts is up fairly significantly versus last year. It's still probably behind where we were in 2019. But I think what's more important is, again, the, the the type of customer, the behavior we're seeing is different as we acquire digitally. It's a different type of customer profile. So I, I think we're all very excited about what the team's doing and how, how they're investing and in, in acquiring accounts. But it, it's going to take a little time before we get back up to where we would have been kind of in that end of 2019 timeframe, Graham. And what do we look at? Acquisition, attrition rates, engagement. As, you know, all, all the metrics I think you've heard us talk about before are just 
more important now. And early indicators like, like triangle, how are they engaging with all of the banners would be another one that I would point out. So lots of things that we're keeping a close eye on, but, but I think I'll speak for Greg. I think we're both pretty pleased with what we're seeing in, uh, in at uh, financial services. Thank you. That is all the time we have for our questions today. I will now turn the meeting over to Mr. Hicks. Thank you, Operator. Uh, before we sign off in honor of Remembrance Day, uh, we at Canadian Tire would like to recognize those who've served and continue to serve Canada during times of war, conflict, and peace. Thank you again for joining us today. Enjoy the upcoming season and continue to stay safe. Thank you. This concludes today's conference. You may now disconnect. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.